All right, good morning, everyone. Always a joy to bring the Word of God to God's people. Let's uh, start in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you uh, just for bringing us out here once again on the Lord's Day. Uh, Lord, we think of your resurrection. May we never forget it. Uh, Lord, pray that you will convict us. Uh, this message is not an easy one. Um, it's a time of self-examination. So I pray you uh, convict our hearts. Uh, help us to see clearly. And uh, may we go and do as you call us to do, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 11 years ago, I watched a YouTube video that really impacted me in my first year of being a Christian. It was a spoken word titled, Why I Hate Religion, But I Love Jesus. And in it, the man says this, Religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says slave, Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And so that video has about 35 million views right now. And a lot of religious people didn't like it at the time, right? So the guy ends up going on like different news channels. And there was a priest, a rabbi, all these people talking about, man, this, you hate religion. And so he had to explain himself. No, no, no. I love Jesus. Um, but what happens is nowadays there's this thing called fake religion where it's really just about what you do and all the works you do. So anyways, today's passage deals with this tension of religion and relationship. Will we follow a worthless religion or have a worthy relationship with Jesus? So last week, we discussed two types of people, deceived hearers and blessed doers. We learned that the deceived hearers look to themselves, depart and forget or neglect to do the will of God then we understood that they are not going to receive the crown of life and they're going to actually perish in the lake of fire. Then we looked at the blessed doers and they look to the perfect law. They abide by it and they do the will of God and they will receive the crown of life. And so the question for us last week was whether we will be doers of the word or deniers of the word. And so for today, we're going to observe what doers of the word do. Right? If we take the whole passage, if you remember verses 18, it starts there with the new birth. Right, We were brought forth by the word of truth. And then if you keep going there in verses 19 to 25, you're going to learn about the, the growth of a new life as a believer. And then here we are in verses 26 and 27, the characteristics of that new life displayed in verses 26 to 27. So this is going to be a good time of self-examination. And if you remember from our first lesson, what did I say about this uh, couple of verses? This is the main thesis of the whole letter, right? This is the main idea of what James wants to communicate to us. And I summed it up in four C's. The first one was cling to the word. Second one was control the tongue. Third one was to care for the needy. And the last one is to be clean from the world. And so we've already dealt with clinging to the word, right, last week about being doers of the word and you need to read the word and do what it says. This week we're going to focus on the other three C's, right? The three qualities that all doers of the word possess. And uh, we're also going to observe three realities of false religion. And then we're going to discuss the topic of true religion and what a real relationship with God is. So let's begin by reading our text in James chapter 1, verse 26. If you have it, say amen. Amen. All right, let's read it. The word of God says, And if anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And so here we have it again. James is dividing 
uh, people into two categories. Remember, we have that wise person and we have that foolish person. And today we're going to learn a little bit about the foolish person in verse 26. And I want us to observe three key points uh, within worthless religion. The hypocrisy, the deception, and the vanity of false religion. So let's begin with the first point here. The hypocrisy of false religion. This is a common theme in scripture. The Pharisees, they're expressed as one of the worst hypocrites that there are. If you read in Matthew 23, verses 1 to 7, what does Jesus say about these Pharisees? We read about how they say things and they don't do them, right? They say, you got to do this, you got to do this, but they don't even do it themselves, right? They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move with so much as a finger. Jesus continues, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. They love the places of honor and banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. They love it when people recognize them and call them rabbi, right? Call them teacher. These hypocrites, they're lovers of themselves. They do not love God and they don't do what God calls them to do. They use religion to be worshipped. They use religion uh, to get money. They use religion to be well known. And if you know verses 22 to 25 in James, he's already rebuked this just hearing of the word and not being a doer of the word. Uh, But now he's rebuking this religious doing that leaves the inner life unchanged. And so James says, they think themselves to be religious, right? The hypocrite, he's satisfied with what he thinks of himself. It's all about his opinion. I think I'm religious, so I am religious. He has a wrong evaluation of himself and his ways. He really thinks he does good for God. He really believes it. And so James explains why this can't be true. Why can't this be true? Well, the hypocrite's religious activity is without inner control. James says that he does not bridle the tongue. So when when James says uh, you do not bridle the tongue, he's not saying that you have to be this shy and quiet, timid person. He's not calling us to be like that. He's talking about a way of self-control when we communicate, right? It's about how the person reacts when things are going really tough in his life. Do they react in a God-honoring way in their speech? The hypocrite, he doesn't, right? He doesn't control the tongue. He gets angry. He gets upset. He gets really mad. And so his tongue, I put it here, is like a wild horse, right? I I watched a video of just a wild horse, and you have this guy trying to contain this wild horse, and he's fighting, he's budging, and you got to really get him to, you know, relax. And it's not easy, right? That's what the tongue is. It's like this wild horse for the hypocrite. It's just going crazy. And so he does not keep his tongue in check, this religious person, this person that says that they know God. And so I want to hear from you. What are some examples of someone having this kind of uncontrolled tongue? So let's say you have a a religious person, right? They go to church, they read the Bible, uh, they give to the poor. What are some examples of a religious person having an uncontrolled tongue? A hypocrite is all about me, me, me. Yes, Jane? Yes, very good. Uh, Paul mentions how we're not to be gossipers. Very good. 
Uh, anyone else? What's a, an example of a hypocrite? Maybe keep it more generic. What's a hypocrite? Yeah, it's all about the outside and not the inside. Very good. Ooh, yes. Yeah, so they like to talk and say, man, look at this person. Look at this person, what they're dressed like, what they're doing. And they don't even ever look at themselves, right? What is it? Speck in your, uh, what is it? Speck in your eye, log in mine, right? Yeah, so we know that self-control is listed with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So we know that self-control um, is only uh, something that a believer has, right? Because they have the Spirit of God. They're able to control the tongue. Not perfectly, of course, but. And so what does that mean for the unbeliever that doesn't have the Spirit of God? They're not going to be able to control the tongue. And so we observe some hypocrisy in Matthew 23. So go to Matthew 23. Uh, I mentioned a couple of ways the Pharisees were hypocrites. But Jesus here gives us some more examples. Matthew 23, verses 23 to 28. All right? These are some of the eight woes that Jesus says. Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees. And so look at, look at verse 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, right? So they're not doing that. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And so they do the, the, the easy parts of the law, but they don't do the hard parts of the law. And then he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So kind of like what you guys just mentioned about just being about the, out, the exterior, not the interior. And then it says here, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And I really like this illustration. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleansiness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what does Jesus care about, the inside or the outside? Inside, your heart. And so Jesus kept it real with the Pharisees, right? Uh, sometimes many of us picture Jesus just being very nice all the time. No, he was real, right? He got down to the heart, and, and he wasn't scared to say what they were. He calls them, you hypocrites. Sometimes we need that. <laughs> sometimes we need that realness. If, if we're blind to our sin, uh, man, you're really being a jerk right now. I'm like, oh, I needed to hear that. Um, all right, so did you notice all the way?
could just use the ministry um, to make you look good, but you don't really do it in a heartful service manner, like, man, this is for God. Yeah. No, that's good. You know, I was reading something in the book on ethics, and you have someone who gives ten thousand dollars. You have another person that gives ten thousand dollars. One is for their uh, tax deduction. The other one is to honor God, right? And it, are you doing it with a cheerful heart because you care for others, or just because you want others to look at you? Very good, guys. And so. What do we observe in this verse in James 1.26? There's this connection between the heart and what you say, right? Your speech, your mouth. Listen to Luke 6.45. Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so you can lie to yourself, but you can't lie to God. He knows all things. He knows our hearts. And if we notice that religious people are saying evil things, it's because they are evil. They do not know God. For if the heart is right, the tongue will show it. So how do we spot uh, these fools or hypocrites? How do we know, man, this person's a hypocrite? Jesus told us on the Sermon on the Mount. So why don't we read uh, Matthew 7, verse 15. I think you're in Matthew already. Why don't you turn a couple chapters to your left. How do we spot these fools or hypocrites? Jesus gave us a way. He's talking about false prophets here, but still, hypocrites in general. Verse 15, Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, right? So they're not really who they say they are or appear to be. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, how will you know? You will know them by their fruits. And so yes, a religious person, they can't hide their hearts, right? We need to observe the person's life in action, not their resume. All right, let's move on to the next reality of false religion. And this one is about vanity, or James puts it, that religion is worthless, right? So if you look at James chapter 1, verse 26, at the end, he says, that man's religion is worthless. Worthless can be translated vain or unproductive or godless. And so this type of religion that the fool is in is a false type of worship. A commentator writes, a professed Christianity that centers on the external expressions of faith, attendance at worship, rope prayers, church membership, participation in the ordinances, but is devoid of the regenerating power of the gospel is as futile and unprofitable as idol worship. I hope you understood that there. What can happen is we can get into the routine of just going to church just to go. And, and what ends up happening when our real focus isn't on Christ, it isn't worshiping God, what, what we do is we make it almost like a form of an idol worship, right? And so true religion requires a life. It's about having a real faith. Jeremiah 10, 1-3, in the context of just the idolatry that's going on in Israel um, or, or in the nations next to Israel, 
the Lord says it straight up. He says, do not be dismayed by the customs of the people of the other nations because that is all vanity. What they are doing is worthless. And so we know that there are many types of false religions. But what do they all have in common, guys? What do all false religions have in common? They're worthless? Yeah, there's, they have no hope in true salvation. It, it will lead you to judgment, right? False religion is useless. Now, the word for worthless is often used with idolatry. Uh, if you look throughout the Old Testament, uh, so many times God is just like, those idols, that's worthless. And so that's what false worship ultimately is. It's a service to an idol you have in your heart. And later, James is going to get into chapter 2 of just how that worthless religion looks like. So if you read in James 2, verses uh, 14 to 17, uh, there are people there that are supposed to be helping their brothers in need, but they're not. And they call themselves true believers. They say, I have true faith. And yet, faith without works is dead, right? They're not there to help one another. And so many times, James is going to say that that faith that you have is useless or, or, or that faith that you have is dead. It's not real. And so we observe that this type of faith isn't alive. It is dead. It is useless. And so I have one more text uh, to talk about just how uh, false religion is, is uh, vanity. So look at Matthew 25, a couple books here right now. If you know about the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verse 30, you see here what happens. Uh, there are some of the servants of the master who worked really hard, right? God gives them some talents. They go and invest, get some more talents. And what does the master say? Well done, good and faithful servant, right? They did what God told them to do. They obeyed. But what happens to one of his servants? They, he, this person didn't do anything for God, right? He was, he was scared. He just hid away the talent. And what does the master call him? You wicked and slothful or lazy servants. And then what does he say? Look at verse 30. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so, beloved, following a worthless religion will make you worthless. All right, so any questions or comments? I know that was kind of tough there, talking about worthless religion. We're going to get into worthy relationship. Any questions or comments? Talking about worthless religion. Maybe you've been a part of a worthless religion before. All righty. We'll jump right ahead here to some applications from this verse. Um, I got two. The first one is false religion is a waste of time and it leads to an eternity of wrath. So we learned about how it's worthless, right? Um, it really is a waste of time because all you're doing is worshiping yourself. All you're doing in a false religion is trying to earn your way, trying to merit something that you're never going to get or achieve, right? And ultimately, it leads to an eternity of wrath. Yes, Yeah. Oh yeah, right? It's like 
it's like it's like smoking or something uh, that you really enjoy, but it's killing you. It's killing you, right? On the inside, uh, it's just leading you to judgment. Very good point. The second thing is hypocrisy or humility, right? We're talking about being a hypocrite or are we going to be someone that's humble? And how do we know? Well, do you control the tongue or does it control you, right? Um, you know, this one, this one could apply to a lot of us that like to talk. It, it's so important to be someone that controls the tongue. We talked about being slow to anger um, and slow to speak, right? And so here's a reminder. Do you control the tongue or does it control you? So we observed worthless religion, uh, the hypocrisy, deception, and vanity of it. But religion is not a bad word, right? When you hear religion, I want you to think more of terms of faith. Remember, this is a Jewish audience. And for them, a man's religion is about their faith or belief in God. And so now we're going to discuss worthy relationships. So go back to James chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 27 now, our last verse in chapter 1. All right, here we go. James 1, 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, oneself unstained by the world. And so this verse must not be misread as teaching a religion of good works that assures acceptance with God and makes faith in the gospel unnecessary. Rather, James is insisting upon right conduct that results from a right relationship with God through the transforming word of God. And so James, what does he do here in verses 26 and 27? He's contrasting a religion that fools others and a religion that God knows is genuine. And so one religion we learned is man-centered. One religion is about what man thinks. Man gets the final say. The other religion is about what God thinks. God has the final word. And so the wise person, he looks to God's word to see what he says about religion. And in this verse, I want us to see what is true religion. And there are two ways that we can tell if we really have this worthy relationship with God. And so the first one we learn, um, controlling the tongue, right? That that shows that you have this worthy relationship with God. Uh, But the other two, in our text, we see it's caring for the needy and to be clean from the world. And so let's begin um, with what is true religion, according to God. So he says here, true religion, um, in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. James tells us that it's in the sight of our God and Father. And so, true religion requires a relationship with God. We are his spiritual children, after all, adopted into this wonderful family. And so, first things first. Without a relationship with God, you can't properly worship him. The only way you can have a relationship through God, uh, with God is through Jesus, right? We know this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that is so key. That's the first thing we need to know. We need a right relationship with God, and it's only by Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice. And so we go to him. We believe him. We receive him. John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. All right, so what else besides a relationship with God do we need in this uh, true religion? Well, true religion is a holy religion. God desires us to be holy. Notice how James puts it, pure and undefiled. These words can be treated as synonyms with positive and negative aspects. 
And each word there, pure and undefiled, has a background in the Old Testament ritual law with its demand for cleansiness and spotlessness as an absolute divine requirement from God. And so what is true religion? It's clean. It's unstained or untainted. There isn't hypocrisy in it. True religion or true faith in God is pure or holy. This is in direct contrast to fake faith or fake religion. So I want you to look at 1 Peter. I know uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter later today. But let's go there. Get a little appetizer. 1 Peter 1, 14. I'm going to read verses 14 to 16. We're talking about a holy religion, a true religion. What does it look like? 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so we have, so we say we have this relationship with God. If we say that, I have a relationship with God, what does that look like? It means we do what he says. Remember, we are doers of the word. And one of those things is to be holy. We abstain from the filth of the world and we follow God's commandments. All right, so let's discuss which, that which God called us to do in James uh, chapter 1, verse 27. First thing he says is to care for the needy, right? We're talking about the orphans and widows. James emphasizes concern for orphans and widows as a true measure of obedience that is pleasing to God. God cares for the needy. We see this throughout scripture, right? You could read it in Psalm 68, 5, Deuteronomy 10, 18, Isaiah 1, 17. What does he say there? He's talking about caring for the orphans and widows, those that are oppressed in great need. We also read in Exodus uh, 22 that God gave a responsibility to Israel to take care of those in great need right God has always shown that he's cared for the poor for the weak we know orphans they're deprived of their parents either by death or abandonment widows they're mourning their husbands and, and they were helpless in an ancient society right they really didn't they had nothing they were the poorest of the poor and so we already know the context of James people are going through Big trials. And guess what? These orphans or widows, they're going through the worst of it. Right? And so James says they are in this distress. They were not only grieving and lonely, but they were often being taken advantage of. All right? If you read in Mark 12, 40, it talks about the Pharisees just devouring the widows. And so these people, they're going through persecution, being in distress or affliction. What does that mean? They couldn't return you the favor. Right? So let's say you helped them. They're never going to return you the favor of helping you back. So what does it call for? It calls for sacrificial love. It will be hard to help at times, but we're called to go out of our way. And James, he's writing to people that are living in poverty. They're also being taken advantage by. We're going to see that in chapter 2. And so imagine being called to support others when you already need support. And so this Christian life is not easy indeed, and that's why we need to ask God for wisdom. And so here's a question, not an easy one, but how can we help others when we're not in the best place financially? So you really see someone in great need, maybe orphans or widows, anyone, it doesn't have to be orphans or widows. How are you going to help them But if you yourself are going through some hard times? Mm. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, we could help in so many ways besides just giving our finances. Maybe we could pray for them, right? We could start there. That's huge. We could share the word of God with them, right? Ultimately, what's more important, their spiritual state with God. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, God can provide too, you know. Uh, sometimes we could be in a pickle, but we can always trust God, and, you know, He could definitely help us. Um, also, giving our time, right? Time, some say time is money, right? So I think if you're able to just be there with them, right? The word here says uh, to take care or to be present with them in their distress. Um, maybe they just need a shoulder to cry on, right? Just be there for them. Uh, But good. So this is our calling. It's this constant service of love. We are called to visit or be present for those in need. And during the worst of trials, we are called to serve our brothers. We really need to be there for each other. Uh, So look at Matthew 25 with me. Matthew 25. All righty. Not doing bad. And I want you to see just how... Christians are described of in their sacrificial love or service. Matthew 25, verse 34. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, to, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So do you notice what are some of the things believers do for others? They, they do uh, so much. Uh, they do for those that are in great need. I mean, think about just not having clothes, not you know, having food, something to drink, right? And so uh, believers, they're characterized as people that help those in great need. Now, the last quality of a doer of the word um, is to be clean from the world, right? So if you know James 1, 27, it says that true religion is to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, The word keep, it can also be translated guard. And so we have this constant battle as Christians to be in the world, but not to act like the world or become like the world. And remember, what is this world? It is a whole human scheme of things organized in terms of human wisdom to attain a human goal without reference to God, right? The world is everything opposed to what God wants. It is anything and everything that is odds with the Lordship of Christ. And so if you remember our summary statement, be wise, right? In this world of war for wealth. And so the focus is, is not on God uh, for those that are uh, trying to gratify themselves and live for the world. And so Christians, we're called to not have this mindset, this worldly mindset. We're called to be holy. And we see this connection of holiness and the word unstained um, because in the first couple of words in verse 27, pure and undefiled, right? It's similar to being unstained. It's really talking about being spotless or white as snow. And that's why I pictured this nice little sheep here. Um, just, just perfection. And in Christ, what is he called? 
he is called a lamb without blemish or defect, right? It's talking about sinlessness. And so if we want to be, um, you know, clear on what it is to be holy, it's to be more like Christ, right? And so uh, we know that our Savior never sinned. And to be unstained from the world means that we flee sin. We seek to be like him. I picture it this way. Um, you're rubbing off the world uh, with some sanitizer or some uh, cleaning wipes, right? And what are those wipes? How do you uh, rub this you know, filth off of you? The word of God, right? It's the word of God. You read about God being holy and is calling to you uh, to be holy. And so that's your goal in life, to be holy, Uh, And you forsake your sins and you put Christ first in your decisions. Uh, One last verse, uh, Hebrews 12, 14. I think it's a good reminder for us. I'll just read it. To pursue peace of all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord, right? Or holiness, which no one will see the Lord without it. So if you're not seeing a change in your life, if you're not seeing holiness, how can you honestly call yourself a believer? One commentator writes, Sympathy with suffering and separation from sin demonstrates the operation of living faith in the heart. And so it's a calling to self-examination. Do we care for the needy? Do we seek to be clean from the world? Alrighty, so some applications here uh, as we're closing because we want to get to that quarterly quiz. The first application is true religion is time-consuming and leads to many blessings. Yes, it is going to require a lot of your time if you're going to follow God and you're going to serve others. Um, but it's more blessed to give than to receive. Guys, there's so much blessing in this. Uh, not necessarily maybe physical blessings in, on earth, but spiritual blessings in heaven. I mean, just think about all the rewards um, that you're investing in when you're loving God and loving others. Um, so important we have that mindset, right? Not on things on this earth, but things above Second one is hypocrisy or holiness, right? Talking about whether you're going to be a hypocrite. Even as believers, we can be hypocrites, right? When we're not uh, living like Christ, but rather we're living like the world. And so are you seeking to be clean from the world or does it contaminate you? In conclusion, we learned about the three ways to be doers of the word. We control the tongue, we care for the needy, and we seek to be clean from the world. We observe the difference between worthless religion and a worthy relationship. The worthless religion involves hypocrisy, deception, and foolishness. A worthy relationship with God involves love, humility, and holiness. And so let me uh, demonstrate to you the difference between a fake religion and a true religion with a spoken word, right? I got a short spoken word here, right? So fake religion says worthless. True religion says worthy. Fake religion says hypocrite. True religion says holy. Fake religion will deceive you your entire life, but true religion will conform you to the image of Christ. Fake religion is all about your good works and trying to earn a heavenly place. True religion is all about your relationship with Jesus and knowing you are saved by his grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that, uh, Lord, you remind us To be holy as you are holy, you remind us, Lord, uh, to love on others, to care for those in need. And so I pray you would convict us, show us those in need, uh, humble us. Maybe we are those people in need and and really need a brother and need to reach out to a brother or sister in Christ to help us in some areas. 
may we not be prideful. May we be humble and, and, and tell everyone uh, how we can help one another um, and really be there present for them in those tough times. Lord, we thank you for this reminder. We pray in Jesus' name.